so many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then hey, don't worry. I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. It took our next guest over a decade to learn that somebody with introverted tendencies can in fact succeed in sales. And after taking a personality test, when he first entered the sales profession, it turned out that only one out of seven people in that room didn't align with a typical sales professional profile. Justin Stowers was that dude and his results told him that in fact, He might just make a better teacher and maybe he's better suited in the world of education. But today, as the director, rather, we had to rewind on that one, of business development at MarketStar, he does exactly this. He educates his customers on their blind spots, prescribes a valuable solution, and then takes them to the promised land with his company's services. And this week, Justin and I are going to hang out and kick it and really just go deep into why introverts are in fact made for a career in sales. Welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? Thank you, Robbie. Appreciate the introduction. And I'm super excited to talk about this. It's um, something I'm passionate about. And I think there's probably a lot of people like me out there who may have entered sales as I did a little reluctantly. I guess I'm just here to say that, like, there is a strong pathway forward. So, Dude, I want you to help me shift the narrative in 30 minutes because it's one of those things where, you know, it, it takes me back to a story when I was at university and I was selling tickets for a charity event. And this dude who lived, you know, in a similar block to me or the same block as me, he comes by and he says, Rav, you're such a great talker. You should be in sales. And I was like, oh, wow, sales is about talking smooth and being loud. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. Which is the worst thing that anybody can think. And it's the worst thing that anybody can say to somebody because the truth is, is it really begins with effective listening. So I I want to really dispel this myth of what a sales professional profile even looks like, right? I mean, to you, you know, managing teams at the level that you are, what does a sales professional profile look like to you today? Yeah, well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. One of the the best skill sets is the ability to to truly listen. Because at the end of the day, all we're trying to do in sales is understand our prospect's pain and then connect value 
and a pathway for solving that pain for them. I think when I think about how cells was when I started 20 years ago, I'm not sure we always looked at it that way. It might have been a little heavier on the persuasion component. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, charisma and smooth talking, you know, that that's a, a great sort of skill set when it comes to persuasion. I think that might be some of what helped stand up that stigma, at least from my perspective. I think that you know, when I think about early in my career, I can think of several occasions where I sort of found myself. I remember one time actually being in San Diego to sales kickoff, sitting at a table, introducing myself at, during a break. And I was the only one at the table who hadn't played collegiate sports. I was the only one that, at least from my perspective, was a bit more reserved, didn't have sort of that gregarious sort of backslapping, oh, I've got a story for you kind of personality. And I felt really out of place and, and actually kind of wondered, you know, how did I, how did I get here? Because I'm, I'm not like the individuals that I'm sitting around. Incredible, because I feel like so many people can relate to that message. And I bet that's exactly why you were hired, right? Because you brought something unique, different, and you know, I don't like the word contrarian in this example because it's not, but compared to the stereotypical sales profile from decades ago, maybe it was. And you said something interesting about charisma. And my, I suppose, definition of what I believe charisma looks like today versus 20 years ago is so different. You know, if I think about the most charismatic people that I know today, they're incredible listeners. They are incredible empathic communicators. They're just, or empathetic rather. Uh, it's just so different versus we think, hey, the attention seeker in the room is the charismatic person. And I don't really think that's the case. So for you today, if you look at your team and the person who holds the most charisma, would you say they're an introvert or an extrovert or a mixture of both? I would say that they're probably a mixture of both. And when I think about my team, I'm thinking a lot about even my peers and who I report to, a good balance. And I appreciate you sort of defining charisma there because I think that, you know, we may quickly slot that into a stigma or a stereotype, but charisma is really just defined, at least in my mind, by an ability to have others sort of maybe feel drawn to what you're saying and a huge part of that is like feeling heard on their end. I think that when someone feels heard, understood, that actually can reflect in some form of charisma, whereas we maybe typically think of it as someone with great speaking abilities or, or um, storytelling abilities, which I'll admit those are things that I want to continue to get better at because I think they're an important part of the process. But Maybe we can step back just a little bit because I think it's important, you know, we're talking about the de definition of charisma, but I also think it's important to define, or at least how I define an introvert and an extrovert. I think historically, we sort of say, well, an introvert is someone who doesn't like to talk, doesn't like to be in front of people, you know, the wallflower. And an extrovert is, you know, someone who was maybe student body president in their high school or is, you know, the life of the party or the, the, the person that wants or likes attention. 
And I don't remember where I heard this, but what it boils down to for me and, and a definition that really resonates for me is it's introversion and extroversion is really more about where you get your energy. So someone who gets energy from being with people and around people and in front of people, I would describe as an extrovert. Whereas in someone who's maybe a bit more introverted, they recharge in solitude. And I think when I read that is when I, I realized, well, yeah, I am more of an introvert. And through experience, I became more and more okay with that versus trying to compare myself to others in my space and industry and striving to kind of be where they're at. And I don't think one's better than the other. I'm not trying to say, you know, hey, it's better to be an introvert because the reality is we, we come the way we are. We certainly can increase and improve our, our skill sets. But at the end of the day, our best path forward is going to be embracing the strengths that we, that we have that, that are innate and aligning our career with that. And for me, having the sort of epiphany that, hey, I can be introverted and be really good at sales was kind of an awesome personal discovery. Because there was a lot of years, I would say probably the first decade or more that I, I really felt like I was just I was on the wrong ship and headed in the wrong direction. And I kind of fought it. And when I finally got to a point where I saw my own value in the, the skills that I had, that's when things started to kind of change and turn a quarter for me. And there were a lot of reasons for that. There's, there's a lot, you know, I had mentors and, and a lot of introspection along the way that helped me get to that point. So it's um, kind of hard to sum up in a few sentences, but uh, I think that's kind of important to remember as we think about our, our definitions of, you know, what an introvert and extrovert is. Well, I'm glad that you took us back there because it reminds me of when I learned about the concept of being an ambivert, you know, somebody who holds the energy of both of those I don't know if modalities is the right word, but both of those energies where I'm somebody who loves the stage and loves people, but I recharge with myself in solitude. You know, I absolutely love that. So it's really funny. I Sometimes I think people think we are this, we are that, when maybe there is, there is some gray there and we have the tendencies in different seasons of our life to really skew to one of those energies. So for you, man, you know, growing up, you said different mentors uh, also helped you unlock this self-awareness. Did you have a mentor who you could see yourself in? Because I often feel like we can't be what we can't see. So was there a mentor that you had who also held these introverted tendencies who said like, Justin, you're on the right path, man. Trust me. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely did. And since we're talking about mentors, I, I will just mention my father, who's a, a very quiet man, but a deliberate man. And I can't talk about mentors without giving him credit. I've always admired and looked up to his sort of what I would describe quiet dignity. And so he is a teacher, ironically. I know we sort of started that conversation around this a bit and, and had a wonderful career as doing that. The other mentor that I want to bring up, I'll, I'll kind of do it in the context of the story that you shared in the beginning where I took the personality test. And, and, and as you mentioned, I was the only one in the room of uh, seven of us that kind of got put into this quadrant of being more suited for a teacher, whereas my six peers were squarely 
in the sales profile. I left that meeting probably on the very next break. And I went into a quiet room and I called my wife and I, I was just like, what? I don't know why I'm here. I'm, I shouldn't be here. I mean, imposter syndrome in, in full force. Uh, I really kind of hit a mental and emotional low. But I persevered more out of necessity than anything else, honestly, because I, I had the job and I needed the job. And rather fortuitously, I was put into a territory as a mid-market account executive that worked closely. We kind of had a pod arrangement with an enterprise, a recently promoted enterprise account executive. And as we began working together, I quickly noticed that he was pretty reserved. He was not, when we were at social events or conferences, he was like, this dude's quiet. He's kind of like I am. And yet he was among the team's most successful and capable reps. In fact, today, he's the senior vice president of sales at that, that company that I worked at. He, he has had a phenomenal career. And so what I saw, and I describe him as a mentor. I don't know if you asked him that he would say, oh, yeah, we, had, we didn't have this formal mentorship, but I, I observed the way he did things. And I'm like, I can do that. I have a similar skill set in the way that I communicate and listen. And so it was really easy for me to model his approach because of those similar personality traits. And some of the observations that I made during this time uh, that I would describe I was under his mentorship, I just accepted the fact that, hey, I'm, I'm a quiet guy. I'm reserved. Um, but those things do come with some strengths. I listen very well. I can read a room well. I have a pretty, what I would describe as a higher level of kind of self-awareness and situational awareness. And I also observed that I had a knack for kind of picking up on nonverbal cues that maybe were easily overlooked or dismissed in a, by others. And, you know, one thing you mentioned earlier that I think is really valuable for, for anyone who finds themselves, you know, sort of introverted end of the spectrum is that, you know, I think there's a natural empathy and compassion that can come with that. And those maybe aren't traits that you immediately think of when you're considering like a high dollar complex cell. Oh, you're empathetic and compassionate. But I learned that they, you know, they really matter a lot when you're trying to understand your prospects challenges and what it really means to kind of sit where they're sitting and to have the problems and challenges that they're facing. And, and then to be able to align that with the value you bring proved to be a really good sort of algorithm for me in, in finding success. Um, and so all of this really kind of started to materialize as an epiphany in, in my mind that like, yeah, I, man, I can be who I am and find success in this career path. What was one thing that this dude did that you saw which made him a lot more successful than an outright extrovert? You know, let's put that term in quotes. <laughs> but what was one thing he did? He was so prepared. And that really kind of cemented in my mind that preparation beforehand and this goes for any sort of personality or 
where you find yourself introverted, extroverted. So I guess this is a kind of broad, but for someone who didn't feel like I was, could just stand up and deliver and maybe no one can, there are people that appear to, to have that quality from my perspective, but that really helped me see that, Hey, if I put in the time and the effort beforehand, whether it was an on-site demonstration or understanding my prospect and customer better, that's only going to help me elevate the skill set that I do have in how I'm meeting that customer where they're at. That might sound a little ambiguous, I guess, but observing all these things that I could do beforehand on my own when I'm not in front of anyone, you know, when I'm sort of like in isolation, recharging kind of, I was extrapolating from there how that preparation would allow me to really be able to do some of these things that I didn't perceive as being comfortable for me. Let me state it another way. Having that preparation behind me allowed me to actually be more extroverted in those moments that I needed to be, to have more confidence in what I was talking about, and also elevated my competency overall as well. So, you know, I, I guess I would just describe really what I observed in him as just a quiet, deliberate, strategic preparation that then unfolded into, you know, a really good sort of path of delivery when meeting with customers. Does that, does that make sense? It does. You know, intentional research and being prepared, I think, is a lost art in today's world where we're so obsessed with scale that we miss personalization, we miss intimacy, and we make, well, I suppose we miss making somebody feel seen, heard, and understood. And going back to that definition of charisma, mine is, you know, if I think about the most charismatic people, is the ones who truly make others feel seen, heard, and understood, they're the most charismatic in my eyes. You know, really, really, they are. And something interesting you mentioned as, as well as you were talking, you said this person had moments of extroversion. And I do actually think that's true in a lot of areas in life. So for example, if you took me to go play American football, I'm going to be introverted right? It's going to be the most introverted you've ever seen me because I'm going to be so outside of my comfort zone. But if you put me on stage talking about something that I'm super passionate about, you're going to see high levels of extroversion. So I think sometimes when we put labels on ourselves, it can unknowingly cement a story that may not necessarily be true. So for you, when it comes to the story that you told yourself about being an introvert and how that may work against you in sales, can you tell me about the time when you truly broke through that story and started finding evidence for the fact that, hold on, no, 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 being an introvert is going to help me succeed? When was that moment? Yeah, I think it, you know, I don't know that I can pinpoint an exact moment, but I do recall a time, I'll, I'll frame it that way, a time where I started to notice, you know, I was getting sort of feedback by way of things I was hearing from my customers, things that I was hearing from leadership and my peers, you know, that started to, I guess, bubble up as common themes. Hey, you know, you've got a really great executive presence. You did a, such a good job. And, you know, this is feedback from leaderships or customers would, you know, articulate that they felt heard or listened to, or this was one of the best buying experiences that they ever had. And I started to recognize that, like, I'm getting this feedback and I'm 
I'm just being myself. Like I'm approaching this role, not like I used to, where I was forcing myself in a direction that wasn't a natural fit for me. And people are responding. And that's not to say that, oh, hey, do it my way and it works. What I'm trying to articulate is that when we can see our own strengths and our own value and we play to those strengths, that's when I think we start to see the fruits of our efforts and labors really come to fruition. And that's true if you're extroverted, introverted, or somewhere in the middle. I think that that's just kind of how it goes, right? When, when It's back to this authenticity piece. When we are who we are and, and we work and execute our jobs in a true and authentic way, a vulnerable way, you know, people connect with that. And at the end of the day, that's, I think for me, what was really the, the big epiphany, if that makes sense. Cut, pause, or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead. And story selling is alive. Because if you really want to build trust, stand out and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www.theravirajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. If there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. And what did it take to get to that? Was it working with therapists? Was it working with a coach? Was it just gathering that evidence? Like what what was the one catalyst to help you get there? I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, for me and my my story therapy was absolutely a part of that. You know, I've always been introspective, but I don't think we always know what to do with what we sometimes look inside ourselves and see. And so being armed with tools to help you kind of pull that together and to observe thinking patterns and mindsets, being able to detach ourselves from negative narratives by looking at them objectively. Yeah, all that stuff I think was really helpful in me for me uh, at a personal level, which is where it sort of started. But that it can't help but like bleed into what I was doing professionally in a, in a really positive way. Because I think at the end of the day, what I was getting at is I was getting, I was really breaking down a negative narrative that I had built in my own mind about how I should be, who I was, and why I fell so short. And instead, I was able to flip that and say, hey, like, this is who I am. And I'm okay with that. I'm grateful for this strengths and skills that I have. I do want to work on gaps that I have, but I'm not going to ignore these things that come to me naturally. I'm going to double down on them. 
you know, I'll be honest with you. I still, I still meet with the therapist for similar, you know, kind of reasons. Like it's beneficial for me to me and frankly to everyone I interact with, you know, it's better for me. I show up better at home. I show up better at work. I guess I'll stop there, but hopefully that kind of answered the question you were getting at Robbie. hundred percent, man. And I think the more deep inner work that we do on ourselves, I've just found I become better as a husband, dad, speaker, storyteller, every single area of my life. Because like you said, the world is, you know, filled with tactics and strategies. But if you don't work on the human being, then, you know, sometimes you're going to hit a glass ceiling. And what's interesting I find about you, and I noticed this about you, I think within the first few seconds of us connecting is you do come across as somebody who has done a lot of inner work because you sound like you're somebody who's very comfortable in their own skin, but also very open to silence. Yeah. You're, you're comfortable with silence. I, I get that sense that you have a, a calm nervous system when that occurs. You're not trying to fill those voids. You're comfortable with it. And I really think that's a, that's a superpower. I really, really do, man. That means a lot, Robbie. I appreciate you saying that. And that, that is one of the themes that kind of, I heard that a lot. I heard that I really, I have a calming presence. Yeah. And, and I, and so thank you for recognizing that. I, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. It just, again, it's just, it reminds me that, yeah, it's okay to be quiet. It's okay. Like it's actually, it's a strength in many, many ways. One of my favorite books is a book by an author, Susan Cain. It's called Quiet. Oh, the power of introverts, in a world that can't stop talking, something like that. And that was a really significant book as well for, for helping me kind of reframe and see that I didn't need to change who I was as much as I needed to learn to adapt my strengths to, to all the situations that, that I, I found myself in. And, and she has a manifesto that she lists 10, 10 or 12 different kind of things. It's called the Introverts Manifesto. And there's a couple of things in there that I found really profound as I think about kind of my my own journey. And we've talked about, we mentioned one of these earlier. One of the things in that manifesto is it's okay to pretend to be an extrovert. There will be time to be quiet later. And I very much see that as being applicable in, in the job that I have today and in my role, because there are times where I got to turn it on. And I can do it. It drains me. It's exhausting. And I need time after to re recharge and recruit, but I can do it. And so I always try to keep that in mind when I may have a little anxiety or something about like, okay, I'm entering the zone of discomfort with, with this, but I can do it. And I'll have time to, you know, to sit in, in some, some solitude and quiet later. So that's one thing. The other thing that was really sort of stood with me from this book is she says in the long run, staying true to your temperament is the key to finding work that you love and that matters. And I would say that that matters, you know, to you. I was always looking externally, probably the first 10 years of my career. I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in the wrong place. If I did this, I'd be happy. If I went and did this, I'd be happy. And, and when I finally sort of looked at no, I do have skills and strengths that will allow me to do well in sales. And I defined the criteria for an environment that I could flourish in. 
that's when I started, you know, getting into roles and in companies and under leadership that allowed me to continue to kind of flourish and grow. And so th- those are just a couple of things that are always, I guess, in the back of my mind. You know, it's funny, you spoke earlier about spending time in solitude and we spoke just now about being comfortable with silence and the benefits of it you know what's coming up for me as you were talking was i've got a friend let's call this individual sally okay now every time i hang out with sally her diary is insane there's never ever any white space it's just back to back to back to back to the point where it can come across like an avoidance strategy because they're actually avoiding silence. And often I, you know, oh, when I always hang out with Sally, I pose the question as to what would happen if you slowed down? Like, what are we running away from here? What thoughts are we trying to run away from? And it's so fascinating when you see that, how being busy and not sitting in silence can actually be an avoidance strategy, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sometimes sitting in silence can be, you know, it can be a little terrifying. I have empathy for Sally because I, even for me, you know, our mind wanders and can often drift to places maybe we don't want it to go. And so yeah, I have em- empathy for that. It's interesting, you know, I've been married 25 years now. And Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. When I was dating, one of the things that was sort of, a, I guess, a criteria for me was that can I, can I sit with this person in silence mm. and have it not feel awkward? Mm-hmm. Because there are lots of circumstances socially and otherwise where I, you know, I'm not great at carrying conversations. I'm, I'm actually quite horrible at small talk, but I can go deep and, and honest real fast, and, and which is good and bad. But yeah, I mean, that was, you know, with my wife, I remember sitting in the car and driving somewhere and we didn't say anything for an hour. And I'm like, yeah, I can, I can roll with this girl. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that, man. It, it's so true. I could just hang out with my wife, just be in her presence and it's just silence and it's great, man. And she's, she's very different energy to me, uh, but it's beautiful. It balances us both out well. And I suppose what people may not know about you is, look, you've got four kids and your eldest is now entering the world of sales at your company, which is just insane. So when you look at the self-awareness that he has around himself, the introverted or extroverted tendencies that he has, where is he on that scale? And what story do you think he's telling himself right now? Yeah, he might even be a little more introverted than I am in some re- regards. He's he's very, very much recharges in solitude. He needs He needs more sort of alone time than I would say I need. You mentioned earlier that you, the ambivert and I actually, like if you were to ask my family and my closest friends, they would immediately peg me as like, oh yeah, he, he needs to be the, the center of attention and be telling the jokes and making everyone laugh. And, <laughs> and so, but maybe outside of my circle of people that I'm super comfortable around, you might get sort of, yeah, he's a, he's a quiet, reserved guy. And so I guess that's one way to sort of litmus test, like, are you in my inner circle? If you think I'm you know, outgoing and goofy, you probably are. If you don't, then maybe you're not. But yeah. But back to your question with my son, the one thing that he has that I didn't have is he's already comfortable kind of where he's at and he doesn't feel a need to 
I, I think I had a lot more need for external validation than than maybe he does. And so okay. he does need some some refinement, but he's comfortable with who he is. And he's he's actually comfortable doing a lot of things that I, you know, early on wasn't comfortable doing. And then of course, mm. you know, I spent a decade sort of stumbling around and bumping my head. I'm my goal is is to to be a bit of a mentor with my any of my children that kind of follow this path and and help them maybe close the gaps in their in their journey and trajectory a little quicker than than I did so I love it man and also you said that he's he's a he's a muscly dude so yeah. man I tell you you know what it's a you know introversion and extroversion comes in all different sizes man let's it let's does. not just assume it's it's the jock as the americans would say right which are the extroverts so indeed you know what's interesting is when i listen to a lot of gong calls or sales calls for teams that i train the outright extroverts, those who would label themselves as 100% extroverts, three things that I see that they often struggle with is the following things. Number one is being able to sit in the mud, aka sit in silence when discussing price and not talk themselves out of a sale. The second thing is if they look at their talk time, sometimes it's way too high. And the third one is solution-centric language because they're rushing to close a deal and getting excited about it versus problem-centric language and actually trying to connect with the pain and see if there's a problem to be solved. What are three things that you're seeing right now inside of your team from those who consider themselves or label themselves extroverts that you think they could be doing differently? Yeah, I mean, this this sounds like a kind of a cop-out answer, but I, I, I literally would say those sort of same three things. Yeah. I think there, there's a, there is a discomfort with silence. We want to fill that gap you know, and, and 10 seconds can feel like 10 minutes in those scenarios. Mm. Talk ratios. I mean, that's another one. That's part of, I think what contributes to that is maybe a desire to continue to feel that silence. But I think we off too often, and I, and I've done this myself. Like I, I'm not sitting here saying as maybe someone who leans a little more introverted that I haven't done all of these things. I certainly have. But I think that, you know, kind of the other the other part of that is, let's see, talk ratios. That's what it was. We get into this mindset of wanting to just talk about ourselves, our product, and the benefits. And if we can flip that and listen for those cues that indicate pain and remember, I'm not selling a product, I'm selling pain. And if I can sell the pain, and solve the pain. In the end, I'm gonna I'm gonna win the deal. And so I, I have that written on the whiteboard because I I still do prospecting myself. I have it written on the whiteboard next to my computer in my office. Sell the pain. It's a reminder for me every day to listen for those pain points to align, if possible, our solution to those pain points. I don't think we stretch that if it's not a reality. I mean, that's another thing that I think we have to do is we got to be honest. Like, are we the right solution? And if we're not, we have to be willing to step back and say, hey, we're not going to be the best use of your money, time, and resources. The earlier we can do that, the better, I think. So I agree with all those things. Uh, And I think introverted, extroverted, if we can sit and listen, that's, that's probably one of the biggest, I think, over underrated skill sets a, a sales rep can possess is, is listening. 
100% brother, I'm with you. And that listening piece as I've, I suppose, grown professionally and personally, more personally, I've just realized that those friendships, relationships, prospects, customers, whoever, those people in life who truly listen to you and don't try and fix you straight away. They ask really interesting questions and guide you towards a solution. Oh my God, I'm going to cuddle those people all day long and you're going to be at my house for Christmas. Like I, I need you in my life because I think we're in a world where everybody wants to put a bandaid over our problems. And the ones who we really connect with, as Simon Sinek would say, are the ones who uh, sit in the mud with me is what he said on a recent podcast. And I found it fascinating. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think one of the things that helps me sort of avoid that is, you know, there, there's a quote by Walt Whitman, be curious, not judgmental. And curiosity for me is a way, instead of doing what you're saying, trying to throw a bandaid on it or fix, fix, fix. Curiosity is a way that we can delve deeper and understand and People don't always need, you know, a solution right away. They just want to be heard. They want to be listened to and feel like, hey, this this person sees me and understands me. And and so curiosity, keeping that at the forefront of my mind helps me stay focused on that as well. It's so true what you said just now. And I think people also have different love languages, meaning I've got a friend who loves solutions. As in, if you're not giving them solutions, oh my God, like you need to be prescribing. They love it, right? Versus me, I love somebody to deeply listen and guide. And then when I say, could I get your opinion? Then I love it, right? Versus somebody just out the gate being like, here's what you need to do, right? So I think it's interesting. Everyone's got different love languages, but man, I've learned so much from you today. And I'd say the few things that really stick out for me are the following. The first thing is, is how doing the inner work without being cringy made the dream work, right? It took you to really a place where you got comfortable in your own skin and excelled in your role. The second thing was finding a mentor, a silent mentor or an official mentor who you could see yourself in, like inside of their story. Because as we said, often you can't be what you can't see. The third thing was, was owning your superpowers of being incredibly curious and a great listener and leaning on that versus berating yourself over things that you may not be doing as successfully as others may have told you in your career, right? And then really focusing on honing those strengths in and giving yourself grace that it's not going to be perfect because there are going to be times and in different scenarios where you will have extroverted or introverted tendencies. But now I know the moment I've got you being goofy with me, brother, on our round two, I know I'm in your inner circle, <laughs> right? Then I know I'm in your inner circle for real. Yeah. That's right. No, that's a great, that's a great summary, Robbie. That's perfect. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. So listen, dude, you know, before we head out for closing this off and head back into the green room to probably continue this chat, but dude, you know, as you know, the show is called The Influential Communicator. And for you, I'm very curious to know your answer on this, but who is an influential communicator that you look up to today and why? Do you know who Ryan Holiday is? Yes. Yeah. So he's an author. He's written uh, Ego is the Enemy. So good that book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so one of the good. most one of the most profound books I've ever read, and and ties directly into some of what you know when we talk about inner work. I think it's a you know really great book. But he's someone that I look up to, not only because he's a great sort of 
author, orator, communicator. But, you know, I think grounding myself in, I guess, some of these stoic principles has, you know, just keeping me on a trajectory that's that's value-based, but also making sure that my ego never gets ahead of, you know, ahead of me and, and keeping things in perspective and being grateful and recognizing, you know, the people and the blessings in my life. And so he's absolutely someone that I kind of, I've never met him, but someone that I look up to and, and whose voice I appreciate. So his book, Ego is the Enemy, I listened to it on Audible many years ago, and I actually need to have another listen because I think it's incredible. And I think one thing that I've observed about him is his focus on minimalism and simplicity yeah. in everything that he does. And in this season of my life, man, does that resonate? Does right? that resonate, right? Yeah, yeah, it just, yeah, it's just reducing decision fatigue, keeping things simple and just not complex in life, man. You know, it's just an art in a world, as I said, obsessed with more, more, right. more, right. right? So, yeah, man, I'm with you. Yeah, that ability to say no and, and, and guard your time and your quiet space, it's a win. It, dude, you know, it's funny you say that because the concept of saying no is hard for many people. And as a recovering people pleaser... I can tell you that it was extremely hard for me at one point in my life. And it, sometimes it still is, but yeah. having done it so much in a warm and powerful way, it allows people to feel great afterwards because you're not just saying, no, no, thank you. Bye. It's really doing the explanation behind it and being intentional with your time. And a lot of the time people respect it versus being taken around the houses and saying, yeah, maybe next week or maybe this, maybe that. So I digress. I've gone down a rabbit <laughs> hole, but hey, the power of saying no, maybe we could dig deep into that in another episode. But ladies and gents, Justin Stowers, dude, where can people go to learn more about you and MarketStar? Well, they can go to marketstar.com and check out our website. And uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. My profile is out there. That, that's kind of the really the only online presence I have. But uh, yeah, I'd love to connect, love to share more. Happy to talk to anyone one-on-one -on -one and share thoughts, insights, and experience. So appreciate it, Robbie. Thank you. All right, ladies and gents, Justin Stowers, I will see you next week. Same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value. So, hey, the more the word gets out about this podcast, the more people we can gather on this mission. So if you could support me, then, hey, that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right, I'll see you on the other side.